0: This is T.D.P.S. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books.
1: (laughs) Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting
0: right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases.
1: Which you'll give me copies of. Because I'm sitting right here.
0: Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. I let you say your part that time. That was
1: really, that was so nice of you. Last week, you just decided to say all the lines. All
0: the lines are mine. Every day is Kevin's birthday. Man,
1: right?
0: Okay, so... uh it's all for you, Christopher. It's all for me. Actually, it is um, right, Justice for, just Billy, for month. Billy Month. Justice for
1: Billy Month. Yes. We're, 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 we're concluding a month of interviews with the people who... Got justice for Billy and brought him to the attention of the world. Uh, Today is uh, the reporter who put Billy on the front page of the L.A. Times. And
0: if you're joining us for the first time or you're just sort of chiming into the story for the first time, we have been talking about this cold case intermittently. Uh, for uh, two, three years now, since yeah. the pandemic. You can go yeah. to
1: thedinnerpartyshow.com, and there is the yeah. first thing you'll see is a link to connect you to all the episodes that have been compiled on a single page so mm-hmm. that you can conveniently listen to them all and catch up all the way on the story. Um, um, we reminisce about yeah. the steps we took as we got here to this amazing mm-hmm. conclusion of actually having. Found the confessed murderer, The to confessed
0: murderer. The, and I, the can, crime. I, I can say still this. I can't get over it. In the wake of these interviews, so if you, in the most recent uh, episodes, if you want to go back and check them out on the Dinner Party Show page, as Eric just said, uh, we interviewed Clark Williams, who is the empty nester no one should count out because he. I mean, I really solved this thing.
1: Yes, if I did get up to something, I do not want him to come after me because he will figure it out.
0: We uh, interviewed Detective John Lamberti for the third time. Um, and we also interviewed Rachel Mason, who is a documentarian who is putting together. I think what she's saying now will be a series about the case. When Which we is first even better started talking to her, it was going to be a movie. Now it's sounding more like a multi-episode series, given how much has been churned up. I will say there were. I am. I had some misgivings about Daryl Lynn's confession. Not that Daryl Lynn was not guilty of the murder of Billy Newton, but some of the. I am even more confident based on what Clark shared with us in his visit about the the advanced work that he did, the, back, right. the deep background research he did into the plausibility of her having committed the crime before right. the confession was ever solicited from her in the Oklahoma prison where she is already spending the rest of her life for a similar murder. So that was something, um, but I think... You know, there has been this ongoing question, and I look forward to asking Kevin about this when he joins us later. The question of Rick Pesquet, that's just what I'm going to call it. Um, we have a private citizen in 1990 who inserted himself into the investigation as a kind of ambassador of the gay community Despite to Despite the fact that he had
1: zero connection to the victim in this crime. Right. And then it turned out that he had at least a professional relationship, a solid professional relationship With the person who turned out to be the murderer.
0: The person we discovered to be the murderer 30 years later.
1: Unbelievable.
0: And uh, presumably, you never said anything to the police that would have led them into the direction of someone that he had worked with, who it turned out was actually guilty of the crime. Now, Rick Piscay is dead. He died in
1: 2019. And not for nothing, but also worth mentioning... The remains of Billy that were found, his head and his feet, were found in a dumpster right outside the back door of the Avalon studio where Rick Pesquet was working, editing the film, very possibly, that he had done with The Murderer. The Murderer. If, if not that film, it would have been a different film, but we think very possibly it was actually a film that starred The Murderer. So that kind of connection just leaves... A few additional questions.
0: And the thing I want to talk to Kevin about is that the way he writes about it in his article is very—it's a soft touch. He sort of leaves it very, up to you, uh, the interesting reader. Interesting approach. I yeah. appreciated that. So I want to—I want to ask him what he feels about that. And because he's an objective journalist, he probably won't—probably
1: <laughs> won't say because well, it's not his job. And but, he doesn't actually yeah. have that information. And journalists, I hope, are not. At typically unless they are at one particular news outlet um, not in the habit of just coming up with a different version of the facts that mm-hmm. suits their story better mhm
0: so yeah so th- we have a lot to talk to him about that's good um
1: you have a lot to talk about because you've got right. a, you've had a new book come out in this Yes last, it actually came out on the 7th of this month but yes. we haven't because we've been Busy talking about Billy and having these amazing um, interviews come in. We haven't had the chance to mission, mission, mention <laughs> Sapphire Storm. You're yes, your you your the, name Cove. Right. Look the latest you. in your Sapphire Cove series.
0: Yes, the latest is the third in the Sapphire Cove series. These are steamy gay romance novels I write under my, student, my public pseudonym, C. They're Travis printed Rice. they are on
1: steamed tofu. They're very steamy. Steamy Rice, that's what they should call Steamy me. Steamy Rice. Steamed Rice. That should have been your pen name, no. Steamy Rice. <laughs> that's
0: my drag name. I like that even better. That's my drag name, Steamy Rice. So, yeah, no, it came out on March 7th. I think it's a lot of fun. It's it's drama and intrigue filled and has Hollywood scandal, and, but it's a romance novel about the maybe the most mismatched gay couple you could think of or that i could think of it's definitely an really? enemies to and lovers i've
1: i've met all of our friends so there's some <laughs> there's some pretty mismatched couples up in there so that that's got to be a that's a that's quite a claim but
0: i raised the stakes pretty high i did i did i did and uh you and i both completed another year around the sun this month
1: we didn't talk right. about that either. It's birthday month. It's yeah. absolutely Christopher's happy birthday, Christopher. Happy birthday,
0: Eric Shaquin. What's very it like much. to be twenty-seven again?
1: Well, you know, it's been great for the last thirty-five years. <laughs> I've figured what the hell, one more time. <laughs> <laughs> My greatest hit. All right. So enough about the two of us. We're gonna. Oh, mean- I'm sorry, Christopher. I beg to differ. It's never <laughs> ever been quite enough about the two of us. But I will say, this month, I'm happy to defer to, defer to mm-hmm. uh, Billy Newton. Right. This is Justice for Billy month, and I'm really glad we've been able to uh, reassemble all of the people who were a part of bringing this story to everybody's attention, and amazingly, yeah. bringing it to this astonishing conclusion that I don't think any of us saw coming not very long ago. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and everyone here at TDPS would like to congratulate my co-host and best friend, Christopher Rice, also known as steamy romance author C. Travis Rice, on the publication of Sapphire Storm, the third novel in his Sapphire Cove series. Sapphire Storm is the drama-filled tale of a forbidden romance that exposes old secrets and incurs the wrath of the powerful and the famous. It went on sale March 7th. Along with the first two entries in the series, Sapphire Sunset and Sapphire Spring, it's available wherever e-books are sold. Congratulations, C. Travis Rice, and congratulations, Christopher.
0: Welcome back to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric, even though you never left, as I like to say. Right. It was our You podcast. never get away from us. <laughs> it was our advertising. It was our podcast. Uh, Justice for Billy month continues here. Uh, we are joined by our fourth and final guest for this the
1: month. The man who put Billy on the cover of the L.A. Times. Maybe my favorite part of this whole story. Uh, journalist Kevin Rector, welcome
0: to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today via Zoom. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so we've, we've talked to all the kind of principles in in what you dubbed the um, amateur team of uh, detectives, team of amateur detectives, I right, should say. the band. We've talked to Clark Williams, we've talked to uh, Rachel Mason, and we've talked, of course, several times to Detective John Lamberti, but we wanted to talk to you about how this story came to your attention and your process with it in the beginning.
2: Yeah, so the first... Um, I learned of it was through Rachel. She reached out to me and wanted to chat. Uh, she had initially contacted me through email, um, and had given me sort of the broad strokes. And it of course sounded like a fascinating story and a really terrible one. Um, and something I, I certainly wanted to look into and hear more about. And so I talked to Rachel and, um, she gave me a few more details and ended up helping me greatly get in touch with those other principles you mentioned and, and you guys.
0: And so what was it initially about the story that leaped out at you and got your attention? Cause I'm sure you get pitch stories all the time. You get tips, you get leads, you get people saying, you should really write about this. What was it about we this one? We certainly do. Right.
2: Y- yeah. I mean, if only every email telling me that I should write a story were this interesting. <laughs> um, um, I do get, I do get a lot of uh, unsolicited suggestions for things I should write about. And um, so going into any new email, I'm kind of saying, okay, what's this one going to say? Um, but I have had wonderful luck in the past with people unsolicited telling me about great stories so i try never to ignore emails or phone calls they
1: gotta come from somewhere Mm -hmm.
2: absolutely um and people who are in the community as rachel is and as other people who reach out to journalists are they know many of these stories that are newsworthy and we should write about better than we do and so anyways i opened rachel's email, I was familiar with Circus of Books and so mm-hmm. I I immediately knew, oh, sort of who she was and that right. she was legit. And then um, I mean, you guys know as well as I do, this story, Bones and all, is um, a fascinating one. And one that I think has great cultural and news value. Uh, I am gay myself and so the fact that Billy was gay and had come to LA um, seeking a better life resonated with me and um, the tragic nature of of his demise um, the fact that his head and feet had been found in a dumpster all of these things told me that this would be a compelling story for, for people to read about and that's just the baseline story right, right. that's what happened to Billy right. then there was the secondary story about as you said, the amateur sleuths, um, as I dubbed you guys, mm-hmm. uh, come, well, coming coming to trim. the story and and figuring it all out. And I thought that was an entirely secondary storyline, but also a, a extremely compelling one. And so the two combined just made it something that I certainly wanted to hear more about. And um, and Rachel was an excellent um, person to to break me into the story and mm-hmm. then, as I said, help facilitate my reporting from there on. Did you have any awareness of the murder before you heard from Rachel? No, no,
0: yeah. I did not. Yeah. And,
2: and, and to be honest, you know, a lot of times when I start working on something that has resonance back into the past or, or that originated years ago, I will try or I will, uh, ask our great uh, library folks at the times to try to find past coverage um you know what did we write about something at right. the time and we did it the la times did not write about billy's murder at the time no. and, and, and that to... made me that made me um as a gay man right want to pursue this story all the more because Good. i think too too Thank many you. stories about yeah too many stories about gay folks um were missed or not done or done wrongly um in the past and i think now journalists to the extent possible um have an obligation to to tell those stories in a better way in a more accurate way um and when something's been overlooked like billy's story was you know to tell it for the first time in, right. in a publication like the
0: Times. Not, not to ask you to answer for the editorial decisions of the L.A. Times in 1990, which predates, <laughs> uh, predates your time there.
1: What what sort of and thinking— probably in elementary school.
0: What we were told by somebody we interviewed associated with the case, somebody very close to Billy, was that the cops at the time didn't want to involve the media because the quote was it would just bring out the crazies. Our attitude is if you have somebody who's murdering someone this vicious— uh, viciously, the crazies are already out. Right, um, But they—they they, their position seemed to be that they were going to be overwhelmed with with cranks and, and bad leads and false tips and all that sort of thing. D- d- does that argument make any sense to you? I'm now putting you in the position of commenting on the LAPD in 1990 and not people you might actually be working with today. <laughs> so maybe that's a safer lane to address the question in.
2: I mean, I think... <laughs> I think we are um, well enough removed from 1990 at this point to yes. yeah. to, to, to talk about it um, as freely as we'd like, but we will never really be able to pinpoint exactly why decisions were made either in the LAPD or at the Times. I don't know whether or not anyone at the Times at the time even knew about this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was because... The LAPD had withheld it to some degree, or because they missed it, or maybe they did know about it and decided not to write about it, or there, you know, there's any number of reasons why a uh, police investigation does not end up in a newspaper article. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to I don't want to presume the the reasons why it didn't end up in the Times. But what I will say is that. I do think, historically, as I said before, that newspapers, TV, news outlets, media in general gave short shrift to LGBTQ stories. Mm -hmm. And so... I think that is generally true of the time, but I don't know what the specifics were for why the Times never ended up
1: writing about this. Well, I have to say, from having been here and of this time period, <laughs> a full-grown <laughs> adult in the moment and not graduating from kindergarten, um, <laughs> I, I I feel in a position to say they certainly covered a lot of other equally lurid stories in the greater L.A. area yeah, with great relish at the time. So. I, I don't know whether, as you say, it was because the police didn't make them aware of it or they made a conscious decision on their own. But yes, you're right. Short shrift has long been given uh, to the tales pro and con about the gay community. And I mean, and to, to your point,
2: I really doubt that if a reporter at The Times had heard about a head and feet Right? being discovered in a dumpster that they would have ignored that story I can't see maybe they would existable. have maybe they would have written about it in sort of a salacious distasteful way given that Billy was gay but I don't think they would have ignored it. So maybe it was
1: just missed. I don't know. I don't Well, yeah, you know, right. and I did was was some head of, and feet. It wasn't a gay head and gay feet. It was a head and feet found in a dumpster.
0: Right. It was reported about in the local paper where Billy was from and I believe where his father was living at the time. And the article didn't mention that Billy was gay and it certainly didn't mention that he was a sex worker. And so they, they danced around it, and those, the, there was a quote from, I think, a detective Veneman, who was one of the original um, investigators alongside Wendy Barrett, who then later took over the case, essentially, over the years. Um, and so there was a way to write about it, but it leads me to my next question for you was, was, was could there be consequences for a reporter in 1990 for revealing that somebody was a gay and also be working in the adult film industry could you could you if if you pissed off a powerful and rich enough family member of that person could you be fired or lose your job as a journalist at the paper
2: huh i i doubt it i mean mm. um, i really could we i mean we reporters are in the business of writing uncomfortable facts about a whole host of people right. all the time. Thank you. Um, I, <laughs> we appreciate I mean, that. I, I I like to think that um, for the most part when we are doing that, we have good reasons to do it. And hopefully we are doing it about the powerful and well-placed as much, if not more, than we are doing it about folks without that sort of power. But um, I, I, I really doubt that um, if folks at the times had been aware of this case, they would have ignored it for for any reason, really, because mm-hmm. it is so gruesome and uh, so sad and so shocking to the senses and so no- and so newsworthy. So I, my my best guess is that at the time there was a lot of violence in L.A. Yes, we've talked this about this case. That, yeah, I mean, maybe this just it just didn't rise to anyone's attention and just didn't make it into the paper i don't know it was
0: was, there were a thousand homicides that year i think in uh la county or la city i can't remember which municipality it was in but it was a staggeringly high number The city was, you know, heating up for the L.A. riots, which were going to happen in short order. I mean, it was it was a really violent, dangerous time in the city of L.A. and a lot of people were dying. So I think that's totally illogical to conclusion. I
1: think it's worth taking into consideration. There was also this was in a time period. And again, I'm speaking as the senior member of this conversation. (laughs) But there was actually a time period not too far removed from this and maybe perhaps even including this where. You just didn't identify somebody as being gay because that in itself was almost considered like a slander of them, even if it was true. And so people just didn't bring it up. They didn't yeah. really start asking. I think at this moment in time, with the, with, AIDS being the raging incident that it was, it was, that was going away, but I don't know that it was gone completely yet. So there may have been some consideration around that, although the Wisconsin, obviously Billy wasn't making much of a secret of it. But
0: the Wisconsin article was a great example of that because it said he'd gone to Hollywood to be a costume designer. That was it. That's how it described, and, you know, missing from it were the details. We now know he had run away from home because he'd been thrown out by his father for being gay, you know, all those sort of things. But yes. Yeah, but yeah, it is great. If you go back and read that article, you can really see what you were talking about, Eric. Um, so, uh, you know, this is, these are subjects that you cover often, Kevin. You're sort of developing a, a portfolio at the LA Times in particular. Again, thank you. Thank you. Um, has has the climate around covering them changed since you started your career? I don't want to make assumptions about how long you've been a reporter or how old you might be. I know Eric has identified himself as the most senior it's being member. being really, really
2: old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you mean by that? Do you mean stories about Gay folks, do you mean cold cases? Well, there's a mean? lot
0: of... We're talking about a case here where um, the confessed killer now identifies as a woman. And so we have had to catch ourselves as progressive and openly queer as we are. We've had to catch ourselves. You, we, sometimes we use the wrong pronouns. Um, there's a lot to... There's a, there are a lot of sort of new term, terms that we all have to become familiar with.
1: And a new awareness. And a new awareness, yeah,
0: of different... You know, I think that... Um, obviously i think journalists are always sort of and often very unfairly accused of bias in certain subjects and i think whenever you're covering a minority group uh you can be your work can be laid open to that kind of critique is that something that you've dealt with in your career i know for the la times you covered the shooting at in colorado springs at the gay nightclub have you ever have you had to navigate sort of changing mores to to tell the kind of stories that you want to tell
2: yeah for sure i mean um I'm in my late thirties. I was an LGBTQ stu- studies minor in college mm. uh, and wrote, I remember writing um, wow. I just a story about a trans. That could be a minor in college. That, really, <laughs> that makes my
1: old heart happy.
2: Yeah. I, I, I remember writing a story about a trans student um, at the time I went to the University of Maryland for the student newspaper there and trying to navigate through um, a lot of these questions. The student at the time didn't want his face shown. uh, And so we sort of shot him from the neck down. Um, This was a female to male trans gender person, fellow student of mine. And, Some I remember some of my fellow students not really understanding what I was writing about or or why it needed to be uh, written about. Mm -hmm. Uh, My point being, I've been writing about LGBTQ issues since the start of my career, uh, which was at this point nearly twenty years ago. Right, Um, and it has been. I mean, it has been a transition. It has been a learning experience. I've not always gotten it right. Um, And my understanding of all of the nuance in the queer world is always growing. Um, And I think that is true of our culture generally Mm -hmm. over the last 20 years. Um, I think there are a lot of people in this country now who have a a pretty good understanding of, of LGBTQ identity and what it means to be trans and et cetera. And that was not true. 20 years ago. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Um, I think the kids now growing up and, you know, young adults um, are so much more fluid with it all. And it it comes to them easier. And um, I think journalism as a whole has had to go through that transition with the rest of our society. Mm -hmm. Um, I've done it as a, as a reporter and I have, you know, I've gotten pushback at times. You know, when I went to um, Colorado Springs and covered the Club Q shooting, um, I, I ended up writing a personal piece about covering mass shootings because co- I've covered a lot now. Mm. Um, oh, and covering yeah. that one being quite personal for me and, and my ending, ending up showing sort of some emotion to some of the sources I met. And that, in my perspective, helping me in my reporting Um, but, but when I was in Colorado Springs, every single person I interviewed, I asked them how they, how they identified and what pronouns they Mm use, because I wanted my reporting to be accurate in, in that way. Um, and I wanted to capture the perspectives and convey the perspectives of folks who land all across the spectrum within the LGBTQ community, because, Club Q was very much a queer space, not Mm -hmm. just a gay space. Right. Um, And so I think being gay has helped me bring that awareness and sensitivity to my reporting when I report on LGBTQ issues. But I do think that that awareness and sensitivity is growing every day in the journalism space and more and more journalists are comfortable with it, particularly younger journalists. And I, I think that's all for the better, particularly given that we are in this moment where folks on the ideological right are attacking trans identity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really important for journalists to get it right. And so
1: absolutely. The, 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 the
2: more we can get it right, the better. And
0: what has that been like working with older editors, more senior editors? Have you been a force for, to educate them to some degree?
2: I have only had really great experiences with, um, with editors,
1: mm-hmm. and so I, 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 don't, I wouldn't say that. It would uh, seem like a pretty broad-minded group of people. I mean, just to do the work to begin with, it doesn't seem like the sort of people who are close to new ideas and new thoughts. I mean, why would you be a journalist if you right. were? Yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: there. <laughs> I, I think um, maybe this, maybe this is, is is in part because I've covered crime and violence and police so long, but uh, I've been known to cuss from time to time. Mm -hmm. I don't think reporters are (laughs) shrinking violets. We are dealing with uh, really, really serious stuff. Um, Really, really powerful, emotional, impactful, hurtful, painful things all the time. And so we're not too fussed about, you know, someone's pronouns or how they identify mm-hmm. it, it, we don't we don't really stumble over that stuff because there's much much more important stuff yes to, to wrestle with i yes. just please you know it's please trans and they use florida that yeah yes, there's this more is not a pressing issue yeah, absolutely it is
1: not that serious <laughs> no, it is really not it is amazing it's not even that many people i just it's an astonishing level of attention being paid to some pretty trivial stuff in the in the long run except to the individuals themselves who are only asking to be represented as individuals yeah exactly it is getting it right and and
2: and representing these folks accurately and true to who they are is serious stuff. We want to get that right. But dwelling on it or, or, or acting like it's some huge thing to wrap your head around, I mean, give me a break. It's not that difficult to understand. Little kids understand it. Right. And I think people who are making out trans folks to be some threat to the country, I, I mean – it's just a joke. Really?
0: It is, indeed. So I, back to sort of this story. I, you know, I, one question I had for you is, is what was, from the moment you first heard about it from Rachel to publication on the front page of the LA Times, as we said, what was the biggest surprise for you along the way, just in terms of your investigating it? If, if it was somebody that you were scheduled to interview who didn't turn out to be who you thought they were going to be, or what, would, what was sort of your unexpected experience with Billy's story?
2: Um, I mean, I do think that there is um, a moment there where I sort of fully wrapped my head around Daryl Lynn Madden, now mm. the suspect in Oklahoma. Right. And I think there was a moment when Clark said to me, when he first thought that this person may have been acting in gay porn and beating up gay people as a skinhead. Right. To Clark, that represented a sort of a scary uh, psychology. Um, And so that, that when Clark said that to me, that stands out in my, in my head. And then to be honest, just Clark's sort of, method of I uh, just to getting to getting to Daryl and Madden. Yeah. Um as some as a reporter and as a crime reporter, I've also I've often found myself sort of trying to piece together something or trying trying to connect the dots or trying to figure out you know, the next person to interview or to consider in relation to a story or what have you. Uh, And the degree to which it was incredible, (laughs) the lengths to which
1: Clark went—I just—we still can't. Our heads are still quite amazing.
0: Uh, The thing that I—I think I said when he was here a few weeks ago, we said to him, you know, he's this magical combination of this intelligence and this this intellectual ability and time. You know, because people ask us all the time, how many, how often, what is it about podcasts that are solving all these cases or helping solve all these cases? And it's that. The podcaster often brings a, sol- a solo focus that the professional journalist who's got a full deck and the uh, cop who's got a full caseload can't necessarily bring to every story or case that they get. If you get a really smart person who can just drill down on the same ca- – I mean because – it's the Michelle was, yeah. McNamara story. Absolutely. And I think it's part of what, you know, the Although, internet is bringing those people together.
1: Clark would even put Michelle to shame. i, mean, I got to really. say, I've never seen anything quite like it. I, I just, I can't. Michelle McNamara
0: relaying. was amazing, but she didn't actually identify the Golden State killer. No. You know? She so, just
1: led the investigation yeah. along. She was probably closer to being us than she was, Clark in this story. Right. She
0: shined a light on it. I don't mean to to denigrate what she no, did, but it is, she didn't actually identify the, the suspect in the end, the, that as Clark did. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, so, I think
2: th- there is, um, there's something that I've thought about a, a good amount as well. And it's, there is the element of time which Clark had, but there's also the element of timing. And -hmm. by that, I mean, you know, when I was talking to Wendy Burnt, the original detective, she was talking about, you know, this case being her white whale and her going so deep on it and, and looking everywhere she could and trying to figure it out. Obviously, she never found out what Clark found out. But when she gave up the case there hadn't been that much time since then daryl madden Mm -hmm. had committed the crime the murder in oklahoma
0: right
2: and so she if if she had done through the the majority of her time on the case if she had done the exact same exercise that clark had done Nothing would have popped up about Daryl Madden murdering someone in Oklahoma to set off the alarm right. bells.
0: Exactly. would. It was have only a,
2: because of the, the, book. the. It was only because so much time had passed that Daryl Madden, now Daryl Lynn Madden, had this in her history for it to pop up in right. Clark's recent. So yeah. I, I just find that that's what makes this possible to solve as a cold case where it may not have been as solvable. It
1: was the perfect moment. Batman. It was the moment at which this could be solved. I, we've commented on that ourselves.
2: Uh,
0: but, and there's yeah. another aspect of the story in the time that we have left that, Kevin, that I wanted to ask you about that we both want to ask you about because we've asked everybody about it. and, it's it, w- and We can't let it go. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where your article is written in such a professional and, and, and sort of lyrical way that you kind of let the reader decide for themselves. But a big piece of this, what got Clark investigating down the road that led him to Daryl Lee Madden, Daryl Lynn now, was a gentleman named Rick Pesquet. And Rick Pesquet had was a member of the gay community who had really inserted himself into the investigation.
1: For good reason or bad, we don't know.
0: We don't know. And apparently it wasn't clear to the investigators at the time that he had a, a double life as a porn director. And a relationship with somebody who turned out to be the killer. You're Right. What we understand to be a professional relationship, which is he had directed um, uh, who was then Daryl Madden in a porn film called The Devil and Danny Webster, which he performed in under the name Billy Houston. So we, ne- we look at this in retrospect as we put it to Rachel Mason when she was here last week. We look at Rick's involvement, and we see that he has no real connection to Billy Newton other than his desire to insert himself into the investigation, but he ends up having a connection to the killer. And this is someone who was in there from day one. This is someone who Mark Rabins has said to us was his sole source of information about the police investigation. This is someone whose phone number was on the information-wanted flyers that were distributed around West Hollywood at the time with Billy's phone number. So any leads coming in? How suspicious should we be, let's just say, after reading your
2: article, of Rick Um, I don't know. I mean, that's another um, one of the great many aspects of this that remains... um,
1: Mysterious.
2: Yeah. Mysterious, right? I mean, my impression is that because Wendy Burnt was always sort of... uh, I don't want to say wary, but nervous that she was missing something about Pesquet. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. it That's was. Interesting. It was part of what Limberti told Wendy after they got the confession was, "Hey, Wendy, don't worry. You don't have to worry that you were missing something about Pesquet anymore. It wasn't Pesquet. It was Daryl and hmm. So my impression is that from the perspective of the detectives, Pesquet is not involved. Okay. At least not uh-huh. to, the, to their knowledge. right? Okay. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it, it, it brings up something that I think um, has stayed with me since writing the story, which is Daryl Lynn says, that she has, she had accomplices, and mm-hmm. that she knows who they who they are. And Lamberti quotes her as saying, "I may be a murderer, but I'm not a snitch." Right, right. Wait. And the LAPD is closing out the case. Right. What of these accomplices? Um, right. Do they get away with murder? Um,
1: it's it has stuck with me and, yeah, at least. Um, mistreating a corpse or something. Uh, That's the thing. So much of us
0: who are, so many of us who are drawn to obsess about this case were drawn by the gruesomeness and just the the horrible message or what felt like a message of a a beautiful young boy getting cut up into pieces and put in a dumpster like he was trash. Um, So it's hard for us to hear that there's not going to be any pursuit of the people who actually did the cutting. You know, and so maybe there will be and maybe we're just not aware of it at this time, but...
1: But to be fair, it's also hard for me to accept that Daryl Len did not have anything to do Correct. with the cutting. I, I, I kind of don't believe that part of the yeah. story. Yeah. There are aspects well, I, of, Daryl part of the st- reason
2: uh Part of the reason I wanted to end my story on uh, Clark and Mark and you guys mm-hmm. having these sort of lingering questions about that aspect of the case is because I think that's what... Li- that, that is what will linger with a lot of people. Yes. yes. Um and I have reached out to Daryl Lynn Madden in Oklahoma prison. Um my wow. story did Balls. not my story did not benefit from from having uh comments directly from her. Um it largely quoted the detectives uh, as to what their conversation with Miss Madden entailed. Mm-hmm. Uh and so who knows? Maybe if Miss Madden decides to write back to me, we'll have another story to write.
1: hmm we will be very we much interested very for you interested. to come back and talk about very it interested. or to contribute if you can use us.
0: Thank you, uh, Kevin, for joining us. We know it's it's always weird for the reporter to suddenly be asked a bunch of questions. <laughs> 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 we we asked you to change roles today. Last time we were talking, you were interviewing us for the L.A. Times. But, you know, I guess we were just returning the favor. Well, and
1: we felt like you had become a part of that amateur band of detectives. Right. That, um, you're part of the band now, dude. Right. <laughs> well, I uh,
2: so appreciated your uh, willingness to talk to me and oh, and Rachel's yeah. and Clark's and, and everyone's um, willingness to talk to me. And so uh, I'm happy to uh, to chat with you today. Excellent. And
1: thanks for putting Billy on the cover of the L.A. Times. That's where it belonged. I was happy to. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The
0: Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. (laughs) Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right, well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases.
1: Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here.
0: Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Well, uh, I, the, I do. We feel like we learned anything new about the case after these episodes. After this month of justice for Billy.
1: Well, I feel supported in my continuing suspicions in and around the case. We have a confessed murderer. I feel very confident in both the confession and in the in the case itself. I really like knowing that even if. Daryl Lenn had been willing to plead guilty, as Mm -hmm. Detective Lombardi told us, they still wouldn't have prosecuted the case because that's not enough. Right. You can't just have a confession, at least here in California, according to code of law, that you would then you would also have to be able to have corroborating evidence. And there isn't any. Mm -hmm. So I think that was clarifying for me and kind of like okay I know the family is okay and that was sort of like the last piece I needed there to be set to be an acceptance about saying all right well that's that's going to be that the the, the facts match up Darrellin knew things about the murder that only the murderer would know, and that's really as far as we can take it. But most of all, the family is pleased with that as a, as a result.
0: Uh, the discovery for me, I, well, I think this was for both of us, you know, uh, was when Detective Lamberti was here about four episodes ago, his most recent visit, that he and the district attorney, who is, I have to say, a very controversial district attorney yes. here in L.A., George Gasson, um it, were in lockstep about that. They were in agreement that this should not actually be tried, that they couldn't really try it. They had nothing else other than this confession to go on. And so I was glad to hear that Lamberti didn't have to go to war with the department over this. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily clear from the, from the L.A. Times article, but the L.A. Times article was coming out sort of right as these decisions were being made. So it wasn't a deep dive on the DA's thinking because they had just sort of made their verdict. Right. They
1: had made the yep. announcement. And then the other thing that has been interesting to me going along – to a man, everybody we have talked to has said our suspicions in and around Rick mm-hmm. Pesquet are founded. Probably not that Rick committed the murderer, but there's a great potential that Rick could have been yes. involved in some sort of cover-up around the murder, and and I continue to be suspicious about that. I whether somebody else was involved in dismembering the body as Daryl Lynn says, or Daryl Lynn is just lying about that part, and, you know, like, given Daryl Lynn's track record, there could be lying involved. I wouldn't be too surprised about that. That part still remains a little open-ended for me, and I Mm -hmm. I would like a little more closure there, but I'm comfortable in thinking that Daryl Lynn probably was at least part of that participation, especially because Daryl Lynn would have been aware of the particular location where those remains were found because it was right outside the door of the editing studios of Daryl Lynn's director and producer at the time, Mm -hmm. Rick Pasquet.
0: Yeah. I just, there's no way around that, for lack of a better phrase. There's no way around that. If this was all happening inside of West Hollywood, if the alleyway was in West Hollywood, if the club was in West Hollywood, you could make the case, well, it's a one-square-mile city packed full of gay people and it's an incestuous community. He went missing in West Hollywood. The body parts were found in Hollywood a good distance away. Not miles and miles away, no. but a good distance away. Not around the corner by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. So I just – there's a lot to explain there. And I'm, I was I, – you're right. I was glad to hear from the people we interviewed that they didn't think I was – that we were crazy to be focused in on those details. But it leaves the question of if we're – how many accomplices were there? Will they ever be identified or found? I think what we heard from some people echoed what I was already feeling, which is the minute we started talking about skinhead gangs, things got a little scary. Yeah. I mean, when, we, when you and I started talking about this, as you said on a previous episode, we, we were a little nervous. We we're poking well, in we an old know case. If the
1: murderer was still out there.
0: Like. But the odds were, the odds seemed to be that the murderer was long dead.
1: Probably. It's been a while.
0: But that's not the case. And instead, the murderer has confessed in a way that has pointed the finger at accomplices from the Aryan Brotherhood. Uh, specifically, Tom Metzger, <laughs> who was a ringleader of the Aryan Brotherhood and who was successfully taken to trial at the time for having used his hate speech to and to motivate acts of violence. And so what what Clark was saying to us is that all of the disparate Aryan Brotherhood groups in Los Angeles at the time were very worked up and there was a lot of violence. So so he had just some, lost the case yeah. the
1: week prior to Billy's murder, so yeah. it was actually really sort of flashpoint time with that particular group. So it's likely that was the group that Daryl Lynn was working with right. in that moment um, when they were exacting their revenge on defenseless people off the street. Jesus but Christ. again, it's you know it's it's open to speculation, and Daryl Lynn has refused to. Be a snitch. I may be a murderer, but I'm not a snitch. Well, how Apparently, big of her. she said to how big of her. the detective. Well, she's
0: worried about her ass getting shanked in prison I by know, the Aryan Brotherhood. I brother can man.
1: understand that. It yeah. is presence there as well. I, I would be genuinely concerned myself. Although, I think I might not find myself in the same position. I don't.
0: I don't. The idea of no. murdering
1: people and cutting them up is not really for come fun. up for me. Yeah, it's disgusting. Certainly not as a
0: uh, so. um I, you know, like, I, 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 we have open invitations to all those people to return and talk Absolutely. about their it efforts. It was
1: great to get Kevin's take on yeah. the whole picture and to sort of see that where we were headed and, you know, where we might still be headed as um those of us who are obsessed with this case continue on our ever-growing obsessions.
0: I'm not going to lie. I want to know who cut
1: up that body. I, It's the thing that I want closure on that. I Mm -hmm. want somebody... I feel like I do know in part, I feel like Daryl Lynn obviously was part of it, given the location of the remains and her connection to the person who would have been connected to that location. So that seems to be a tell, at Mm -hmm. the very least, if not a confirmation. Um, But yeah, I think there was only one accomplice in the murders in Oklahoma, so... Mm -hmm. It could have been as few as one other person, though she says there were two at this point. Daryl killed that person, too, in Oklahoma. Right. And yeah. so those people may also be dead. Mm-hmm. Right? And that may be something that Daryl doesn't want to get involved in saying either because killing members of— The Aryan Brotherhood probably wouldn't be Mm -hmm. good for her reputation either. I I don't know how any of that works. That's a a world that I have very little. In fact, I was quite surprised to hear of the level of activity or suspected of activity of skinheads in and around West Hollywood during that time period. I lived
0: here. And nobody said to you, Eric, watch out for skinheads.
1: No. I mean, it was, as we said, it it was a time when people— Wore whistles around their neck to blow them for so that other people would come running. And there mm-hmm. were, it was a time when you kept your head, you know, you kept situational awareness because people would just pull up on the street and get out with baseball bats and beat people unconscious of, you know, you. I first met you talking right, about yeah. somebody who was who was beaten with
0: outside his own apartment building, kissing goodnight to his boyfriend, beaten with baseball bats, put in a, a medically induced coma. Uh, he's recovered today. He's alive today. So but that's he doesn't good remember know. the event. But he doesn't remember the event. That's how violent it was. Um, I was taught early on that if you were walking down the street and it was nighttime and a car pulled over and said, do you know where the gay bar is? You don't answer. Because if you said yes, out they would come with a baseball bat.
1: Just the it was yeah. an admission of guilt. Right.
0: Just, yeah. So um, it only took 30 years. 32. But at 32. Yeah, you're right, 32. We started talking about it on the 30th anniversary. and uh, 32 years later, we've if justice for Billy. Justice for Billy. If there's more to talk about, we'll be talking about it for sure. God
1: knows. And even if there's not, we'll probably yeah. still be talking about it for a while. Because, wow. Yeah, Congratulations, wow. Christopher.
0: Congratulations to you, too, Eric Sharquin. And Quinn.
1: really... For Billy, you know, for that's Billy. my greatest joy in all of this is his picture on the cover yeah. of the Los Angeles Times. Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin, for that particular contribution yeah. to this process because it was it was high time.
0: Absolutely. All right. Until next time and forever after, I'm Christopher Wright. Next Rice.
1: week. Next week. What are we doing next week? Next week because... We weren't able to do birthday month like we usually do um, during the month of March. We'll have special treats
2: Mm. for all
1: of our guests to talk about, you know, observances that may or may not have happened in the interim. (laughs) Okay, then. So, until the special treats from next time. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And
0: you've been listening to TDPS Presents
1: Christopher. And Eric, Justice for Billy. Thanks.
0: This is TDPS.